Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see faces I have not seen in a year or more. I don't know. The, the opportunity of the feast coming is its something that sort of grows, feast fever. But I'll tell you, when it really hits me the hardest, that's when I start seeing cars coming in from all over the country and people telling me they lost their luggage and things of that nature. <clears throat> the guy that traveled the furthest had his luggage lost, Paul Muller, poor guy. But uh, they called this afternoon and said that it would be into the St. George Airport tonight, so I guess they're going to wait till morning and go in early. And Thankfully, we have a used clothing department over here, and Paul was able to go over and pick out some duds that fit for the evening, so that was a, that was a good thing. Did you see the moon actually coming over the mountain this evening? Boy, when it's a full moon and it comes over that mountain in the evening, it's just incredible. It, it looks twice its size, it seems to me. But, uh, I was out late last night doing some work, and uh, you can see just a barely little bit of edge where it wasn't quite full last night, but it was almost like daylight outside as it will be tonight, so... Uh, to me, it's an exciting time. I hope this weather holds for us. Uh, it appears from the long-range forecast that it's supposed to for at least the next few days, so maybe that will be the case. Not too cold at night and, and beautiful in the daytime, so uh, maybe the wind won't blow. But I, I've been watching Shirley out here working on the flowers and the trees and everything around the hall this last week, and I'm thinking, what's the weather going to do? I thought it would be so nice if all of you from out of town could come in and the flowers would still be blooming and still have some leaves on the trees and so on because it is so pretty, all the work that's been done out there by Shirley and others. And uh, She's been clipping some wilted ones off where the frost began to get them, but they're still beautiful out there. So all that you see equals hard work. Some of you will notice the uh, floor has been laid and fixed up and the bathroom's almost finished and quite a bit's been done uh, through this past year to the place, and uh, it shows. Uh, I don't know how long it took to do all these decorations we see front and rear in the hall, but there's been a lot of work going into it, and I really appreciate the efforts that so many have made to, to make things as lovely as they are. I called to cancel Tanner Amphitheater uh, oh, a couple, three weeks ago, and uh, the lady in charge of that said that, well, we've completely refurbished the place this summer. Uh, new carpet, new ceiling, redone it. I, well, that was by email. I, I said I called her. Actually, it was by email. Uh, so I didn't actually have a chance to ask questions like, is it still going to flood? Or did they fix that? And uh, various other things. <clears throat> but uh, it is nice to be here in our own place. I think that it does qualify uh, biblically from the standpoint that I believe that we are the harbingers or the beginning, perhaps, if God sees fit of those Jerusalem towns without walls, 
And originally, he said, go up to Jerusalem for the feast. And certainly Zion and Jerusalem are connected in part one to the other, so even though I felt Zion uh, was important, uh, Jerusalem is important too. So uh, that one I tossed about in my mind a bit, but given the worldly influences around Springdale and the cost of motels and all of those things, uh, finally decided we should just go ahead and meet here. And we can stay in tents and pick up campers and uh, places apart from where we normally reside and sleep as they originally did by building booths. I don't know that it matters at this point whether they're canvas or metal or, or what kind of booth it is, given our lack of palm fronds. <coughs> but uh, we can have temporary dwellings, which shows that we are ambassadors uh, awaiting a move by God. Uh, we're just here temporarily. And they wandered in Israel before, I mean in the desert, before they were allowed into the promised land. And we are wandering certainly in a desert here, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, before God begins to bless his people again. So uh, he is going to bless the world in a way that it has never been blessed before. That really is getting into the edge of what I have to say tonight. Uh, I do have a few announcements here. Uh, services tomorrow at 10.30 and 2.30. First Holy Day. There will be a light potluck between services, finger food type things, since we're having a full barbecue tomorrow evening at 6. The evening meals we will set at 6 o'clock. Some people like to eat early. Uh, I know that may get in the way of some activities, but it's okay. You can miss while we eat if you're too busy at 6. So, uh, And when you're barbecuing meat, you know, you need to put it on, get it off the grill, and it's better when it's eaten right away. So let's try to be there promptly with um, our appetites and other things that we might need at 6 o'clock tomorrow evening. <coughs> we have a, a recent policy, and that's we're going to bring our own utensils, plates, knives, forks, spoons, glasses, cups, whatever you might need, uh, rather than buying styrofoam and paper and making a mound out in the uh, dumpsters each day, uh, better to eat off of, and it's just a waste of money, I think, to buy all that stuff, and it's probably not all that good for you in the first place to eat off of it. Uh, plastic does have its problems, so uh, each is responsible for their own. Uh, let's see. What we're going to do is uh, we've bought the best hamburger we could get hold of, and it's organic, uh, they say, from Lynn's Market there in Hurricane, it's special ordered from a ranch that does uh, organic beef, and it's very lean and good-looking hamburgers. So we're going to barbecue hamburgers, uh, chicken, and Marla has made what she calls a steak roast. Uh, so some of you will remember it from Purim where she took the roast and sliced it very thin into steak-like pieces and marinated it in a special sauce that she makes. I saw three half-gallon bottles of whiskey on the table, <laughs> and, and I looked around, and they were all gone. I looked at her, but uh, a gallon and a half of whiskey in that marinade, so, <clears throat> wow. Because I think most of it burns off, so don't get too excited. But those three meats will be served 
I think each evening that we have a barbecue, <clears throat> all of you should have a schedule or they're being passed out to people who are our visitors tonight. Visitors, that doesn't sound right. Our, our, not prodigals either, are they? Uh, those who've come in from out of town. <clears throat> we'll uh, receive those schedules tonight of services and uh, when the, the meals will be. Uh, so we'll have those three, and we thought rather than try to satisfy everyone who might have different tastes, if you have a particular cut of meat that you like or want cooked, special cooked, you can bring it uh, rather than us trying to provide it. We'll provide those three things, the steak roast, the hamburger, and the chicken, and you can eat those, and then if you want something different than that, you know, fine pork chop or something, uh, you have to bring it. And you have to bring your own grill and cook that one. <clears throat> uh, also, uh, any donations toward the meat would be appreciated if uh, you feel so moved. That's been bought ahead of time and prepared, or will be prepared. And to the potluck, or the potlucks, the barbecues, uh, the meat will be cooked here uh, next door uh, by our crew but I think they're expecting side dishes and that type of thing to be brought like we normally would to a potluck. So we want to get to the important stuff right away, the food. Well, God tells us to come to the feast and enjoy. This is a time that pictures plenty, that pictures prosperity and happiness and a whole different world than what we understand today. Uh, I guess that's one reason we look forward to the Feast of Tabernacles as much as we do, because it does have that picture about it. Uh, things that human beings have wanted forevermore. I covered a little bit of a, a thought along those lines the other day in a sermon about uh, we want the fruit of the Spirit, and yet we want to obtain <clears throat> those things through the works of the flesh. And we think that if we go ahead and do all the things that we fleshly might desire, that that will produce happiness and peace and joy, but it seems it turns out the other way. We fasted on Day of Atonement just recently, and I think that the meaning there is very, very important before we go to the Feast of Tabernacles, because if we cast back for a few moments, let's understand <clears throat> that the works of the flesh are what Satan uses against us. And that's where he went immediately with Adam and Eve. Through deception, through lying, through half-truth, through temptation, and the desires of the flesh, of that which looked good or might to them seem good, and God had said it was wrong, but mankind has been whoring after the wrong lover, to use God's own uh, analogy, ever since Adam and Eve. God said, worship me and me only, and yet we've gone a different way throughout the history of mankind. But we had a Day of Atonement which pictures, I believe, the marriage of the Lamb, that through his death, and resurrection, our sins can be forgiven, and we can have life anew, <clears throat> and that's the only thing that holds out promise for this world. And not only that, but our biggest enemy, Satan the devil, 
I think is also pictured there in which he will be bound or not or taken anyway by a fit man. And I think that the only one fit to do that is Christ himself because he's as strong as any of the archangels. It would take two of them. So the only one fit to do that would be Christ himself who has already defeated Satan. And he's going to bind him a thousand years so that he cannot tempt, deceive, or lie to anyone on this earth for that period of time. That in itself would improve society incredibly not to have him and all that he influences people to do. I want to go back for a few moments to Revelation. Let's start in chapter 19. I'm not going to keep you long tonight. I know many of you have traveled many, many miles and are tired, and it's exciting to be here, but we have two full services tomorrow, so I don't want to take long. But I want you to notice a context here. And that is that in 17 and 18, it talks about the beast, the false prophet, and how they're going to establish a world-ruling empire. And tonight, as we sit here, <clears throat> there are things going on all over the earth toward the establishment of that empire. And it's becoming more and more and more obvious. At first, we heard hints from George H.W. Bush about a thousand points of light and how we're going to have a, a beautiful world. <clears throat> and now it's becoming quite open and all the things that they are doing to show that they're issuing or ushering in a new world order, a new way of doing things, and they claim that it is going to bring peace. <clears throat> they feel that they need to kill at least 90% of us, and that's 90% more peaceful then, isn't it? <laughs> Less people to murder and lie and cheat and kill and do the things that are bad. So they will achieve that goal in part, but are those the right methods? And mankind goes by the means justifies the end. Whatever it takes to get what we want is what we'll do. And if we need to kill 90% of them, we will. Meantime, our lover, Satan, I speak of the world, and people in Christ's day didn't realize they were worshiping Satan. But Christ told those people who claimed to be worshiping God that they were of their father, the devil. Incredibly deceived, weren't they? That they actually thought they were worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But by their actions, by their fruits, by the works of the flesh that they were exhibiting, he said, no, your real father is Satan, the devil. You've taken the wrong lover. You've taken the wrong approach. America has done that. Israel has always done it, it seems, with brief respite, with periods of repentance, and then they go right back to their old lover again. Never can get over their boyfriend, the devil. So we have a world that they are ushering in using Satan's methods, which are lying, cheating, stealing, enslaving <clears throat> monetarily through materialism, through drugs, through alcohol, through loose, immoral, perverted sex, through modifications to our DNA, through genetically modifying our foods, 
through pollution, through greed, with wrong kinds of fuels, and lying about all these things to us. So it's bringing on the destruction of Israel because we poured after the wrong God, Ezekiel 16 says. So this nation is going down. Chapter 19 it says, After these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. See, contrast that with chapter 17 and 18, where the deception and lying is the beast's way of going about it, the works of the flesh. But then we have Christ introduced here as having the fruit of the Spirit of God. And I think that the symbolism of atonement is very clear here, that we are departing from the God of this world, or from our lover of this world, and enable to marry our bridegroom, the righteous one. And he's willing to forgive all of our whoredoms and to usher us into his kingdom if we will but pledge and commit ourselves to serve him, to love him, to help him, <clears throat> to fulfill his purposes, but we have to do it his way, through the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh. By now, for any person who has any brains at all and thinks, it should become obvious that over 6,000 years of history, man has basically never had anything but war and fighting and pillaging and raping and slavery, misery, starvation, and anything negative you want to talk about. <clears throat> now in America, perhaps we don't even stop much to think about the last 6,000 years of history because we have grown up in a world since World War II, for the most part, where there has not been suffering, starvation, much disease until recently and all things that are out there that are bad. We have been in a shell, in a bubble, protected. But now we begin to see bubbles popping, don't we? The bubble of medical science and health and healing. The bubble of mortgages and credit and financial security. All those things that we thought we had that were given to us by central banks, by mad scientists, by all these people who thought they had the right way, and they've used greed and corruption, lying, cheating, and stealing to provide these things, not so that we might have a better life, essentially, but so they can profit. And we're seeing it all coming apart before our very eyes as we sit here tonight and look at the news. Atlanta may not even have a drink of water in another 90 days. That's five million people in an area that normally has much rain and plenty of water and they don't even consider much of a backup system because who would ever need it in Georgia? A world coming apart before our very eyes. Houses by the hundreds burning in California. Perhaps we have entered these times that the Bible talks about as terrible. <clears throat> 
but the marriage of the bride comes very close after the destruction of this country and the new world order has its 42 months, well actually a little longer probably, there's a period of time before the great tribulation starts, maybe seven years, maybe a little longer, who knows, until Satan is bound and no longer can influence the world. In his new world order, his world government, his millennium that they are promoting is going to go away, crumble and fall before Christ. So the righteous one is coming. True and righteous are his judgments, not lying, cheating, conniving, and stealing. For he has judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Then it goes down to verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. It defines what the wedding clothing is, the righteousness of saints. And he said to me, Write, Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he says to me, these are the true sayings of God. <clears throat> so he's going to come then on a white horse, verse 11, faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. He's going to sort out the liars, the cheats, and the thieves from those who are righteous. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was dipped, or he's clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And his armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So the marriage of the Lamb comes, a righteous wife, and he comes down here to install righteousness on the earth. And he is going to take people who have put on the white garments of righteousness, who have given up the works of the flesh, and realize it's a dead-end street and will not produce happiness, might produce temporary fun, but in the long run it brings misery, discontentment, frustration, emotional dejection, and so on. Some will have learned. Some will follow walking in the Spirit rather than in the flesh. And those he is going to bring as his bride who agrees with his methods. And we will have then peace on this earth for a thousand years. Tonight begins an annual uh, fulfillment of the type of that thing, of when it will happen. God wants us to do this every year so that we won't forget what is coming. So here we are gathered to keep seven days, yes, even eight, showing the peace of God on the earth brought about by his methods. And what we have to do is be converted to his method of doing things. Mankind has always wanted peace, joy, love, happiness, and good things. But they have always chosen the wrong method of achieving those things. So all God is trying to do with you and me is convince us that the only way it is actually going to be achieved is using his methods. 
And if we are convinced of that and on his team, then he is willing to marry us, he's willing to use us to establish peace, happiness, and security. Now how will men know that we are his disciples? It is if we love one another. It's how we treat one another. Now for seven days, yes, eight days, we are gathered here to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. We are here to show the world, though they don't pay any attention at the moment, but they will soon. And we're here to show God himself that we have adopted his methods, his ways, that we want to be the kind of bride he wants rather than being the kind of bride we want and yet still have blessing from him. And this is an opportunity for each and every one of us to show him through this period of time which pictures that thousand-year reign of Christ with Satan gone, that we will not listen to Satan, that we will not listen to our human flesh, but that we will walk in the Spirit during this period of time, that we will be full of love, full of joy, full of happiness and good fellowship, will not overeat, even though we can certainly enjoy the food, we will not overdrink, though we can certainly enjoy strong drink, as God says at the feast. We will show that we are able to control our human nature, and we will do it in love one to another and toward our Father in heaven and our bridegroom to come. Well, this is a chance in a time that directly pictures the kingdom of God for us to show him that we are willing to do things his way. We will not do things the way Satan does them and has ever since Adam and Eve with mankind. But we will shun that route and we will do it God's way. Mankind has always said, I'll do it my way, which was basically Satan's way. They just didn't know it and they worshipped, they knew not what. But we're not deceived in that, are we? We know, we've read in God's word that his way works, that it will bring peace and love and happiness and joy. We look forward to the millennium, don't we? We always have. When I was a little child, I would hear those scriptures read in Isaiah about the animals that are against each other today, lying down and sleeping together and propping their heads on each other, playing with poisonous snakes, those that had been poisonous, and all of those beautiful things about the millennium, and I expected it to come before I ever grew up. And it may. Oh. <laughs> but that's all right, I'm working on it. I never expected to have children or grandchildren in this age, but now all the cracks are showing in Satan's system and it isn't long until the millennium really does come. And I believe that many of you sitting here will have marriages and children and families in a beautiful world tomorrow. So here is our challenge these next few days, and that is to make an above-normal effort, let's say, to walk in the Spirit and to show the love and servitude and giving and sharing with one another that God has brought us here to do as a picture of a time 
when the attitude will not be greedy and selfish and me, 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 but it will be, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I make your day better? That's the attitude that a bride should have toward her husband. How can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I do things your way instead of my way? And where the husband says, how can I make your day better, sweetheart? What can I do for you? And that is the way that Christ is going to treat us. He showed it in the way that he lived an absolutely sinless life, would not, under the direst temptation, give in to Satan at all. He is absolutely honorable, absolutely obedient to his father. He is absolutely convinced his father's way is the only way to live and the only thing that will produce peace and happiness. The world talks a lot about world peace. But they only know the way of misery, suffering, and war. We know the way to peace. The only problem is we tend to be weak and base and we have trouble with our human nature. And even though we understand there is a better way, it is very, very difficult for us to live it, to follow it. But you have to be convinced here and here. And then you have to begin to actually change and grow and overcome and walk in the Spirit. We have eight days ahead of us in which we have nothing else to do. Nothing else to do but live and walk as Christ would live and walk. You don't have to work. You don't have to do anything but eat and drink and fellowship, and pray and study, draw near to God. We have trouble sometimes getting our prayer and our study and the various things in that we need to do because of the pressures of this life. Well, here for eight days, God has said, come, keep the feast. Portray the millennium. <coughs> Someone might say, well, I have my job. I could go ahead and work during this period of time and still make it to the feast and keep the holy days. Does working out, let's say, in this world, with its attitudes, its music, its cursing and swearing and dirty jokes and noise and traffic and stress and hassle, picture the millennium? I don't think so. No, God said, come up to the feast. Leave all that stuff at home. Come up to the feast. Worship me. Love one another. And I'm not going to lay anything on you but that. Because it is a picture and a type of the time to come when God will rule and there will be peace and happiness everywhere. And if you start to do something wrong, someone will say, uh-oh, nope, this is the way, walk this way. So there will be no rape, no murder, no lying, no cheating, no stealing, because someone will stop you from doing it. We've proved that we won't stop ourselves, that is, humanity as a whole. So if someone is going to say, oop, nope, can't do that, do it this way. You and I, by personal choice, have the opportunity now for these next eight days to do it God's way. I hope we're convinced of that. You know, when you get a big group of people together and they spend time together, what do they do? 
They say things, they offend one another, they ignore one another, and many times we build up in our minds things we think people may be thinking, and they may not be thinking that at all. We impute motives. We think somebody shunned us or said something nasty to us, and maybe that wasn't their attitude at all. It's easy to offend, and it's easy to be offended. God says, don't be either one of those. Love one another. So there's our challenge for this Feast of Tabernacles, to show God that we indeed truly are disciples of Christ and should be a part of the Bride of Christ.